Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor, for this chance and opportunity. It's always a privilege to be home in my home church and getting to speak because every week I'm traveling somewhere. And want to say thank you to all of you that uh, prayed for me. I was uh, battling pneumonia recently for about two weeks and ended up in the hospital. I was in uh, Denver, Colorado area over the weekend ministering a few weeks ago and uh, knew I was in pretty bad shape. And of course, leave it up to the airlines when all you want to do is fly home and, and when you're sick and my flight was delayed, I think it ended up being delayed seven hours. And so instead of getting into D.C., at 9.15 at night, it arrived at 4.30 a.m., so I didn't do that. I didn't go on that flight, and I had to delay another day, being just getting sicker, and then flew home on that Tuesday, and my wife picked me up, and, and then we went right to the ER, and, and I spent a few days in the hospital, and uh, we're doing good. So thank you. So many of you were praying for us, and we really, really do appreciate that. I want you to stand for the reading of God's word, and thank you so much for being here. As Pastor mentioned, we had a great first service, and uh, uh, we're just believing that God's going to do the same in this service and in your lives as we open up to what God wants us to. 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'll help out. Second service, just like I helped the first service out. If you don't know where 2 Samuel's is, it's right after 1 Samuel's. Hope that helps. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers, messengers to get her. Lord, I pray right now for these next few moments that you would speak the word that you've laid so heavy upon my heart this week. God, I pray that the only way that the burden is lifted is if we speak your truth and love and compassionate and we speak the truth that there would be hearts to receive this. God, I pray that seeds would be planted today from the word of God and the challenge that you have laid up on my heart for this day. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Um, when When you think of King David, there's a lot of images we have of this incredible, in fact, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart, right? We think of him defeating Goliath. Uh, we think of him being a mighty warrior. We think of him being able to uh, wrestle the bears and the lions. And no matter what the enemy threw at him, he was able to see what the power of God did through his life and had incredible victory. So how can this same guy get to the place 
in which he took another man's wife, had an affair, had a child outside of his marriage. How does anyone that spends their life with God, their relationship with God, how do we get to that point? And, and, and the burden I felt this week is God was beginning to speak to me that, that there, are, there are some people in the church, this is, this is a message to the body of Christ, uh, uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. He was the one that God chose, even though God knows things that will happen, he still put King David in that place, a position, an anointing, anointed him as king. And yet, how do those things happen? Because we may be sold out and radical at this time in our lives, but how do we make sure that we don't end up on top of a palace outside the plan of God, living immorality, because we are starting a season, here we are, uh, as the beginning of summer, Memorial Day weekend, and it's so easy during this season to step back from God, step back from the church, step back from our commitment to God, we're just going to go live, we're going to have a good time, we're going to go on vacations, we're going to go on the beach, we're going to go on the lake, we're going to do all these things, and so easily, how, how do we get to, well, it's right there. Right there in those scriptures, it says where King David was supposed to be, he was supposed to be with the king's men and the whole army leading them, but rather they were out there doing what they were supposed to do, but where was King David? He was back in Jerusalem. In other words, he had taken time off from being who God wanted him to be. He had anointed him to be king. King is not someone that stays in the palace all the time. The king is one on the front lines leading the charge. And in other words, there are heads of households. There are people that are sold out and radical and dedicated to Christ. But how do we make sure that this summer is not a summer that we slowly fall back away from God and all of a sudden we see it in our marriage and our children and our walk with God. And so uh, I just felt like there was a burden. There's so many people in the church today. Uh, have, you, have you ever, uh, trying to illustrate what, God laid upon my heart this week. Have you ever had the chance to go to um, the national park called Yosemite in California? And uh, I mean, if you ever get a chance, go. Um, it, it's one of it's really truly spectacular, and you know the the, the big redwoods, sequoia trees are there, and all this. But but one of the most incredible things about this national park is <clears throat> you enter this long tunnel. So you're basically driving through one of the mountains, and it's a long tunnel. And at the end, when you start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, the very expression, you know, you start seeing some hope that you're coming out of a dark place, a long tunnel. There is nothing more spectacular than when you come out of that tunnel in Yosemite Park, because when you come through, you see the most incredible, beautiful valley, and you see El Capitan. 
El Capitan is that sheer face is one of the most amazing uh, mountains. And, and recently there was a movie done by a guy that did a free climb up, a free climb. In other words, he climbed it in record time, in fact. I think it was under four hours, if I remember correctly. And he had no ropes or harnesses. He, if one little slip, one little place, he could have... But, but, the point being is, is that God always wants to make sure spiritually that no matter even when we're in those long, dark tunnels, maybe we're feeling bad, maybe we're, 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 we're falling in temptation, is that we understand that if we are keeping our walk with God in the right place, that there will always be light at the end of the tunnel. The enemy will not always be able to keep us down. Um, as, as someone that does soccer salvation camps and anyone that's not familiar with their ministry, one of the things that we do, we do soccer salvation camps and crusades all over the world. We've done them in Asia. We've done them in Central South America, the Caribbean, North America, Europe, Africa. We've done 43 of these. The most recent one was in Ovalle, Chile at the beginning of this year in January and truly phenomenal what we saw. <laughs> Incredible opportunity. And as each one of these we do, we realize the plan of God and the doors that he opens and the Bibles that we have literally placed in homes all around the world, even having the Bibles in homes that were Muslim, Buddhist, uh, uh, atheist, uh, so many different, but the parents accepted the holy word of God into their home because God used the gift of soccer, and, and we've seen that so, happen so many times. And I remember uh, one that happened in September of 2001, literally two weeks after 9-11, and it was to Fortaleza, Brazil. And back then, uh, when I took a team, we would fly to an airport in the United States, and then we would fly to the country together. And so this particular one is going to be in Fortaleza, Brazil. And so on Sunday afternoon, we all flew to Chicago O'Hare Airport, and all these team members flew in, and we all were going to fly on the same flight to Brazil. Now, if you've never been to Brazil, one of the things that is required to, uh, to visit Brazil is you have to have an advance visa put into your passport before we, you leave America. And the only way you can get that is you've got to send your passport off to a Brazilian consulate and get a visa stamped into your passport. You cannot get on the airplane here in America and fly to Brazil without that. They won't let you on the plane here in America. They will find the airline for every person that doesn't have a visa, $3,000. So the airline is very committed to not having that happen. So I had already been to Brazil twice. I had traveled the year before in 2000, and I'd already traveled earlier in the year of 2001. When I went for the very first time, there are two kinds of visas back then. This was before that Brazil hosted the Olympics and the World Cup, and then it changed, and then now you can get a 10-year visa. But back when I originally went to Brazil for the very first time, I applied for a five-year tourist visa for Brazil. 
So I went there the original time in 2000, and then I went there again in setting up the trip in early 2001. So when it came time for our team, now you have to understand this team that was going with me, a lot of them were teenagers. A lot of them had never even flown. I mean, it, I mean, most of them had never been out of the country. I think nobody had a passport until this trip, but some of them had never even flown. And this was their first trip, and it's 10 and a half hour flight to Brazil. I mean, you can fly quicker to Europe than you can to Brazil. It's a long ways down there. And so we land after flying all night, 10 and a half hours. We land in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and now we're all going to go through the passport, and you're going to come up, and you're going to open your passport, and you got to let them see the visa, and, and everything's got to be valid, and then they'll stamp your passport, and then you're allowed to enter. Well, I'm the leader. I'm the one that knows what we have to do. We have to get our luggage. Then we have to go to another part of the airport and fly a national airline for three and a half hours to Fortaleza. All of these things have to take place. I'm the one with the money. I'm the one with the contacts. I'm the one that they don't even have a clue what they're doing. And I'm the leader. And so every one of them go through. And they're allowed to enter in Brazil. And then I come up and I put my passport down. The guy looks at this. He said, excuse me, turns and walks away and talks to a supervisor. When you're standing in the passport line and someone says, hold on a minute, not a good sign. I still give my wife a hard time. Was it Australia or New Zealand? My wife went through, never paid attention to whether I was there. They took me to a little small room. I've had it in many places. I've had it in Haiti. I mean, just because I didn't know where my hotel was, address was, they were not letting me in the country. So this is one of those moments that but I'm not by myself. I have a whole team. There are parents and pastors back home that are counting on me to be with their kids. And that guy comes back and says, your visa's no good. It's expired. No, it's not. I applied for a five-year visa, and that was just last year. No. He says, no, you don't have a five-year visa. You have a 90-day visa. I said, that's not possible. I went last year. I only had the one visa. Never had another one. I only had one visa in my passport. I said, I came last year on that, and if you go 90 days past that trip, was my second trip. You let me in earlier this year with the same visa. And if it was a 90-day visa, it wouldn't have worked for the second time. He said, you're right. And that person that did that will be in big trouble. But you do not have a valid visa. And you're not getting into Brazil. So you don't understand. That's when, but, but, but God, but God, I, I went to church. But, but, but God, I went to Sunday school, but God, I, I served, but God, I gave. You see, one day, church, there will be a time that we stand in front of God. And the only way that we have a valid visa to heaven is because Jesus Christ has covered us with his blood. It is his pure, spotless blood. It doesn't matter that you're guilty. It doesn't matter that you sin, that you've hurt God. But if you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and one day people will stand there, and they'll go, but God, 
And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Not because you were a bad person or a good person, but because you missed one simple element. And that is the only way to make it to heaven is to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That day, I can't tell you. I said, if this is even a little bit what people will feel like the day that Jesus comes back. And so many people Say, why didn't I go? That was the most horrific feeling. I I cannot tell you how sick to my stomach I was. I cannot tell you the amount of tears that I cried. They made me sit in that airport all day long and out of my own expense, fly back to America to get a new visa and then fly back. I I was like overwhelmed. I'm like, I I tried to tell that guy all these excuses why he need to let me in. I said, hey man. It's all good. I'm here to help you. I'm here to serve your country. We're we're here. We're giving this week. We're here to help. Sorry. But but you don't understand. I'm the leader. I can see through the clear glass. There's this whole team. And their eyes are like saucers. But I am sure mine were bigger. I, I, I couldn't even imagine a worse nightmare than this. This was horrible. They had no idea. They had to get their luggage, go to catch the other fly. They, and I, I'm like, you don't understand. I, I got to be with them. Sorry. We're, we're keeping your passport all day until you get on that first flight. You're not getting in. For the next 12 hours, I was reminded, you know how easy it would have been to get a new visa? May we not one day wake up and recognize and realize that we started allow the compromise, the slow fade, as that old song talks about, that we slowly step away, that one day you can be the mighty king of the children of God, King David, and yet you are lowered to standing on top of your palace and looking at someone else's wife. And then you begin to see that sin begin to creep in and that compromise because during the time of the summer is the greatest opportunity in many lives for the enemy to begin to pull you away from God. And God's saying summertime is not a time to fade away. It's not a time to skip. It's not a time not to be involved and being in church and being in prayer and being the word. It's a time to lean in with God because there will be temptation and challenges this summer like you have never faced. But you've got to realize that if we are in the place that God wants us, if King David would have been on the battlefield leading in the charge, you see, when you're on the offense, you're not having to worry about being on the defense. 
You see, too many people try to defend against bad things and sin and temptation. But in reality, if you're on the offense, you know defense is not getting on the field. I don't have to worry about that. I'm, I'm charging forward. I'm doing what God calls me to do. And, and, and that's the challenge that God wants to say to us. I, I can't tell you. Like, I, 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 I sat there in that airport all day. And you know what? I found a businessman from Atlanta on a different airline, same situation. He's being kicked out, rejected as well. Same thing, a visa that was not valid. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter what our story was. I was like, God, why didn't this happen on the second time when I had no team with me? No big deal. But it it painted something deep inside of me that we got to take care of the little details so that when we face the big details of life, we're not with an expired visa. You see, you can't face the big temptations if you haven't spent time in God's word and his prayer time and a commitment and being a part of the family of God, we got to realize that the only way you don't go from being mighty King David to totally trying to cover up your sin of an affair with another woman and then trying to cover things up. You basically ordered the murder of her husband. There will be times in our lives that it may feel like the enemy is just pounding you and pounding you. And you're in that long, dark tunnel. Literally, I felt like this week was such a burden on my heart. There were some people that are just, in, in fact, it was confirmed in the first service. Had someone come up to me after service, after the first service, and just say, I wanted to run out. I wanted to leave. I didn't want to stay because I was feeling bad. I was feeling unworthy. But then every time I would have another question, God would use me and what I was saying And that person said, I couldn't move my feet. I couldn't leave. I'm so glad I stayed. You see, it's it's easy to say right now that none of us probably are at a place in which we would do a mass murder, right? But every one of us, when we walk out there's these doors today, there is a weak area of our life. Satan does not tempt you with strong areas of your life. He finds your weak area, and then he just relentlessly, relentlessly begins to nail you. But you got to realize that you got to keep your eyes on the light, the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's Jesus Christ, and he gives us the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we come out the other side and we haven't allowed the darkness to take over our lives, our marriages, our relationships, our children, our future, our calling, when we realize that, when we burst through to that light, we see that beautiful valley. We see El Capitan. We see the beautiful creation of God. Oh, what could have been so different for King David. But God put this in the Bible for a reason. I'll never forget, I was, uh, this happened many years ago. I was going to speak at a church in East Texas. It's when we lived in Dallas. And, and uh, uh, God did something that I can't remember in 23 years 
of being an evangelist, of doing this. And that was that God told me all week long, even though I was going to be there Sunday morning and Sunday night, he told me what he wanted me to preach on Sunday night. And I just had a huge problem with that because God didn't make me like that. I had to worry about Sunday morning before I could worry about Sunday afternoon. I mean, normally I would have never worked on that message until Sunday afternoon for Sunday night. And I fought with God all week. I was like, God, you know the way you made me. Man, I got to feel something. And I don't feel that. He says, you've got to preach Sunday night a message. You've got to be ready at any time. And I fought God all week, got to Sunday morning, preached, had a great service. And then Sunday afternoon, I finally, out of arrogance and, and, and a haughty spirit and thinking I knew better than God, I finally said, okay, fine, God, I'll preach that message tonight, but I am not responsible when nothing happens because I don't feel it. You know why that point is so important? Because there's going to be days you don't feel like living for God. It's going to be days you don't feel but it's the decision and the discipleship and it's the living out daily even though we know we're all sinners and we fail God and we let God down realizing every day that we have a choice that we wake up in the morning and even when we don't feel like it we're still going to come to church we don't feel like it but we're still going to break open the word of God we don't feel like it but we're going to still spend time in prayer we don't feel like it but we're going to come and we're going to serve we're going to be involved in all of these activities this summer because it's too important because it's not just about me and it's not about my time off it's about one thing is I refuse to end up on top of the palace when I'm supposed to be out leading the charge. <clears throat> so Sunday night gets there, a lot of visitors, place was packed out, almost full. And I got up and I shared a message, you got to be ready at any time. At the end, gave an altar call for people that needed to get their lives right with God. I, I believe there were like seven or eight people that said, I need get my life right with God. I love God, but I know I'm not right, and I need to make him a priority once again. And then I gave them the chance to, to make that decision and to take a step of faith. We want to pray with you personally. Can I tell you, the most important part of an altar is when you recognize and realize that only God can make the changes about the very word that our pastor just spoke into our life. Whole time of the service is pushing us toward that place in which we can get into an altar and we can allow God to do the work that we know we need. Healing us, speaking to us, giving us joy, giving us power to go back out there and fight another day. Don't ever. You know what God would rather? He would rather every one of us responded to every altar than the opposite. You say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah, it does. The very fact that we think it doesn't, it does. Altar is about God and me. And I need to hear some things from God and God needs to do some things in my life. And so when I gave the invitation for people to respond, all of the people responded that raised their hand except one young lady. I didn't know at the time. 
But there was a young lady, 23 years old, and she was standing back here in this section. And she had raised her hand saying, I'm, I'm not right. I would later find out she's running from God. She's separated from her husband. She's pregnant. And they have two-year-old twin little boys. And she came to church that night. Someone invited them, and she came. In the powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit, God spoke to her, and she knew. Can I tell you something? God knows every intimate details of where you are in him, what your relationship is right with him. And you may have everybody else fooled. You may even try to fool yourself at times. But let me tell you, the only one that you ever need to pay attention to is God. And if we were more concerned with God and us and our relationship with him, then spiritual pride would never get in the way. Time would never get in the way. Do you know what happened when I began to lead that prayer? In the middle of that prayer, as I was praying with those that came down, that 23-year-old young lady fell over stone cold dead. She died. Her heart stopped. She had a heart condition that her mother had taken her to a doctor when she was like seven years old, but she never bothered to tell her daughter about it. And so now she's pregnant, working hard on her heart. But more importantly, she was running from God. There were two nurses sitting in that service right behind her, in fact, documented the whole thing. They immediately, in the middle, when you give an altar call for people to get their lives right with God, and there's a commotion, you know what the pastor said after that service? He said, I bet you had no idea that God was going to do an illustrated message tonight, did you? I said, I definitely did. What was the message about? You got to be ready at any time, even as a 23-year-old young lady struggling and running from God, struggling with your marriage, and you know enough to be in the house of God, but yet not willing to truly make that decision. Can I challenge you that the altar is a safe place? It's a wonderful place. It's not a place for the the uh, the the perfect. So that's, you know what that means? You and I, we need the altar, whether that's in your home. Remember the war room? Remember that movie? That was her altar, her closet that she got serious with God. Those two nurses immediately began to do CPR mouth to mouth. I'm the one with the mic, and I didn't have to tell anyone what to do. Because you know what happens in the middle of a service when someone is dying or is already dead? Nothing else matters. Do you realize that's how God looks at us? If you're spiritually dead, nothing else matters. People begin to move the chairs out of the way. Someone called 911. It would take the paramedics in a small town in East Texas over 20 minutes to get there. Someone else began to get all of the kids out of the sanctuary so they didn't see anything that would, would disturb them. <clears throat> and then you have never heard a prayer service 
when you have people that see someone laying there dead and needing a second chance and needing a miracle and needing someone to fight for them. Do you know what I recognized that night when I was back there and I, I reached down and I anointed a cold, blue, lifeless forehead of a 23-year-old young lady that had every reason to live and she needed another chance. And I'm grateful to tell you that that's the heart of God. He is a God of second chances. He's a heart of grace. He is looking for a chance to give you a new power and anointing in your life to overcome. But there's one thing that you can't get away from when you're looking down at a dead, lifeless body. I found out that night that the dead count on the living. If there was no church in that community for that young lady to come that night, can you imagine the outcome if she wasn't surrounded by a bunch of Christians that believe in the power of resurrection? That's why this church is so important. That's why we should not lean out. We should lean in. And this is a time when we even have more time and we're more relaxed and we're more available. May we lean in. I can promise you that Pastor Aaron, Pastor Chris, Val, the whole team, man, if you got time off, there are always stuff to do around this house of God. There is always stuff that you can lean in. There's always people that need prayer. There's always someone that needs visiting. There's always someone that you can be out charging in front of the battle making a difference I look down she literally has two year old twin boys in that church building that night her husband came that night they're trying to make things right and yet she lay there lifeless the dead count on the living who's dead according to scripture those that do not have Jesus Christ who's alive those that have Jesus Christ That means if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're alive. And it was the actions of those that were alive that made the difference in those that were dead. Paramedics got there. They shocked her once, nothing. Shocked her twice, nothing. Shocked her three times, nothing. Shocked her four times, nothing. Shocked her five times nothing. Put her on the gurney, going to wheel her out to the ambulance. And one of the EMTs says one more time. On the sixth time, but more importantly on the one more time. All of a sudden, the heart monitor began to register that there's life where there was death. And she was raised from the dead. And she lived because that's the heart of God. But there will be a time. There's no more second chances. There will be a time. Just last night, my home state, about 30 minutes from where I grew up, that my mom and dad still live, 15 minutes from my sister, my twin sister, last night, People went to bed in a hotel in El Reno, Oklahoma. And they woke up in eternity today. 
because a tornado went through and destroyed that hotel and other things. At least two people are dead. We all assume that we got more time. But there's always a price to pay for that time that we are away from God. That baby that she was pregnant with didn't make it. Can't be shocked and make it. Read the whole story of what happens with King David and you'll see there's a great price. God loves you so much. And I would have much rather preached so many different messages today, but I couldn't get away from the burden that there are people are feeling like I'm in a long, dark tunnel in which the enemy is just battling and battling and saying, I'm not good enough. I, I can't live right. I can't be pure. I can't overcome this area of my life. But God says you can, and he stands with you. And he is asking each one of us to say, say, God, there are areas in my life that I know if the enemy just takes complete control, it'll pull me away. And you know what? There are people that are not here in church this morning because of the guilt of what they did last night but in reality this is the one place that they should be because church should always be a place of hope grace salvation it is always a place that the lost and the struggling should feel this is the place we want you i want you to stand Father, I thank you today for this incredible opportunity that we have. And we just thank you and we praise you that you were the God of second chances. And God, if everyone was honest with ourselves, Lord, there's not one of us in this room today, Lord, that is without sin. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all messed up. But God, there is one thing There is one thing that matters about this this race called life. Is we got to finish. We got to cross the finish line. We can't give up. We can't stay down. We may have been tripped up in the same area of our lives a million times. A million times. And yet God says, if you'll repent, if you'll pray for me to reconcile, if you'll pray for me to restore, if you'll seek me, if you'll just be where you're supposed to be, King David, you would have never looked at Bathsheba. You would have never had an affair with her. You would have never conceived a child outside of your marriage. You would have never destroyed a relationship. And you would have never, ever ended up committing that husband to dying on the battlefield because you were trying to cover up your own sin. God, I feel so strongly that this is a warning. This is the loving compassion of a father speaking into our lives. God, in my life, those areas that I I feel so inadequate in, those areas that I, I struggle with, God, 
My prayer this year for 2019 is, God, Lord, make my weak areas my strong areas. Take away the chance for the enemy to consistently chip away at my relationship with God because of those areas. God, make our weak areas our strong areas in 2019. God, may it be things that we're able to stand up and they may want to they may want to put a title over us. They may want to look at us from our past, but our future is in the hands of the Lord and we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And even if someone walked in here today feeling hopeless and dead and lifeless, just like I saw that young lady, Lord, the dead count on the living and we are jumping in the middle of, oh Lord, their lives today with the message of hope and redemption and love and forgiveness, a father that is always willing to accept his children into his arms. God, this is a challenge to every one of us. It's also a warning. It's a call. God, there's some of us that have just been beat down, we're worn down. It's beginning to affect other areas. God, we refuse to give in to that slow fade that we begin to fade away. But God, in the summer of 2019, may it be a summer of revival in our lives. May it be an awakening. God, may it be the time that I draw closer to God than I've ever been before. When I'm out on a vacation, when I'm out on the beach, when I'm out on the water, when I'm doing what I love to do, Lord, may it be those times that I don't step away from my relationship with Jesus, but I step toward God. I step towards your purity and your righteousness.